0: I have hit the button. And here we are, together what again. Fun? How are you, buddy? Not bad. How are you? I miss you. There's been so many things happened since the last time we reported a pod. I'm now in a different state. Matt is in the same state. A uh, state of crazy cuz you know he has kids yeah. and everything. Um and uh yeah, so we got stories to tell. We got time to catch up on. But most importantly, we've got movies to talk about
1: really is that what we do here i just thought we just talked about netflix all the time
0: we'll get there don't you worry sir we will <laughs> get there let's start a little personal today we've done some stuff like i said we've been apart for a little bit i want to talk to you yeah first of all about the most recent short film that you got to shoot for the 24-hour <laughs> video fest talk to me oh, about yeah. this experience.
1: Well, my uh, daughter was really excited to do it. I was kind of on the fence uh, when she said she wanted to. I'm like, well, this will be a good time for the both of us. So she even went down there to the, the kickoff with me at midnight. And on the, in the car on the way back, we decided what we were going to shoot. I came back, wrote it up, even though she came up with half the dialogue. Uh, I wrote it up while she went to sleep. She woke up, we got something to eat, we started shooting at about 1.15 in the afternoon, finished at 8.35, watched it, did a couple of different exports, and they allowed us to actually do it via Dropbox this time, which was great. I didn't have to drive all the way downtown.
0: Yeah, that's very convenient and,
1: because,
0: you know, delivering it by hand before, after you shot everything, and you're exhausted, and you just want to be done. Yeah,
1: yeah and since I live an hour away from downtown... It's a pain in the butt just to drive down there, drop it off, and come right back.
0: Right. We turned it
1: in. We are really happy with it. Uh, went to the first screening. Apparently, I encoded it in too high of a bit rate for their crappy computer to play back. So <laughs> where was the first screening stuttered. at? What, uh, what was the theater? The Angelica at Mockingbird Station, the theater that everybody loves. But you know, you and I lived in LA, so we we know what's up.
0: Um, And it's kind of fallen off a cliff in the last couple of years. It took him a year to fix the escalator. But you know what? Another story for another time. Keep on with your story. I'm not a fan of the theater,
1: really, to be honest with you. But we screened it that first night, and this year it was almost exclusively high school kids. In the college and adult category, there were 17. Only one college. The rest were adults. So six adult teams. And they moved everybody to the finals. We went to the finals. Our screened last, and I thought, well, that's usually a good sign because that means we're anchoring the thing. Right. And after our screening, we had a ton of people come up to Ava to tell her how much they loved her and how good she was. This guy came up and said in his 30 years of covering independent film here, this was his favorite performance he's seen like, ever from a
0: kid. That seems extreme, but anyway. um,
1: Well, I mean, you haven't seen it, have you? I've seen it. Oh, no, she's great. Don't get me wrong,
0: but that seems like a superlative statement from somebody that doesn't know what they're talking about. Yeah. Anyways.
1: Except then there was also a guy who was sitting behind us who was one of the judges for the high school category, and he was in tears. Like, he loved it. He said he'd give us first place, so I'm like, oh, man, maybe I'll actually place higher than second place this year. And we didn't even podium Oh, so out. So out of six teams, three. Beat.
0: <laughs> wow.
1: So yeah, um, and the, the first place team went up there when they called their names. Everyone was like, "What?" And then they went up there, got their trophy, didn't even say anything, and left. They didn't even go back to their seats. They left. Classy. Yeah. So pretty
0: much, it's uh, the same experience as you've always had. Pretty much. Yeah. So. At this point, I think it's academic
1: that they really just don't like me.
0: You know, if you would stop having sex with all their wives, or maybe their husbands—I yeah. don't know. <laughs> well, the only
1: college team we saw them in the elevator, and they were talking to us, and they're like, "How did you guys not place? Like, I don't know. Ask them. It's weird. They gave us shirts, and I told Ava go up and get get her a shirt because, first of all, they're not going to have my size, and second, you know, I. I don't want to take a consolation prize like that, you know?
0: Right. Um, And it's funny because um, your last two entries have been polar opposites. Uh, This was much different than the Cosby special, that's for sure. Well, that was the 48-hour. Well, no, I'm just saying the last uh, couple of festival entries like that, uh, they don't want crazy on one end, and apparently they don't want lovely on the other end.
1: Well, I I think, you know, for the 48-hour festival, I think it was more about content. You know, because we were also the only ones that didn't get screened at the awards ceremony. Right. And when you have a movie called The Cosby Special about a girl who might be underage and doing porn, and then someone getting murdered, you know, there's there's a lot to to be kind of uh, apprehensive about showing in a public space, right? And I get It's that.
0: called dark but, comedy. A bunch of girls, right? But
1: this other one, I think it might just come down to the fact that it looks like if we went in there and won, it would look like we were dunking on people. Like Because if you just take a look at the the production, the sound, the acting, it's on mm-hmm. another level from the other people there. And one of the winners, the person who actually won first place, the the number one rule for the 24-hour festival is you have to make everything you use, all the footage... Has to be shot by you in that twenty-four hour period, yeah. And they use news clips and uh, stuff from Obama, so obviously not shot within the last twenty-four hours.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Well, yeah, that sounds like a fun adventure, as always. Now, Matt, I ask. And what about
1: you? What have you What have you been up to?
0: Ask me questions. This is a good question to start out with. I have done a little bit of work on th- things. Uh, we can call them TV shows and or movies. I have to be vague because I signed an NDA on one of them, at least. The other one, I guess I can tell you whatever I want to. But that's what I've been doing. So ask me pointed questions, (laughs) and I will give you vague answers.
1: Okay, so have you worked with any celebrities?
0: Yes, indeed I have worked with some celebrities besides myself.
1: (laughs) And who are they if you can talk about
0: it? I can tell you that I've met a senator that I had not met before this weekend, which is to say I've never actually met a senator until uh, two weeks ago. (laughs) I can tell you that there was a lovely uh, female uh, person involved in this project, and um, she's a doll. She was a sweetheart. Uh, She danced with all of us. Uh, There's dancing involved, I can tell you that. I danced badly at a reunion. That's what I can say. Also... Also, I can say, not my episode, but two of the episodes may or may not have been taken to the film festival across the border that is going on right now. Ooh. And then I was a zombie. I can't tell you for what, but I was a zombie. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Uh, being out in Albuquerque has given me a few more opportunities. I'm doing a little bit more acting now, which is to say I just stay in the background. Yeah. But uh, it's been a blast. Well, I I've mean, had a lot of fun. mean, you got out there and... The second your feet hit
1: that toasted pavement out in Albuquerque in the ABQ, you just started getting jobs left and right, man. I'm proud of you.
0: It's crazy. Um, I wish that all the Atlanta jobs would hurry up and get here uh, because I think they shot 200 TV shows and movies in Atlanta or in Georgia last year.
1: Well, that's the thing, because they all went from Albuquerque about eight years ago.
0: And hopefully they're coming back because Georgia is racist. Well,
1: especially now that... Uh, Hollywood is kind of upset with their politics, but as long as,
0: uh, walking dead is still on
1: the air, then it's going to be a big industry.
0: It's crazy being at the studios. It's fairly small right now, but the place that Netflix bought will probably be ginormous over the next 10 years. I mean, they've just got land and bulldozers and everything's going crazy. So I've told you more than I can tell you. Now I have to kill you. I'm sorry. That's the way it goes. Next topic that we're talking about today, let's get unpersonal, but let's get personal. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Little film that's come out since the last time we've spoken. I have seen it two and a half times. Now, how about yourself? Uh, Just that once because, you know, I've got too much stuff to do normally. Well, I'm an obsessive compulsive, so um, I did watch it again after that. And then half of it at home, but it's still a crappy HD cam video, so it wasn't as fun. (laughs) How about you not admit to that? <laughs> I mean, it was what it was. I don't know what to tell you. But let's talk about the movie. Well, that's how. You know To be to be fair, that is exactly how Quentin Tarantino wants you to see it. It's an HD cam. Look, I paid for it <laughs> twice. I'm more than happy to pay for it three more times. But that time, I just want to see some dialogue. Anyway, first impressions. You know what? that's the way. Really quick. That's the yes. way I feel about these things. If I could have paid
1: forty dollars for the ticket opening night and been able to get it on digital that same day, I would have done that. And I'd still probably go back to the theater to watch it at some
0: point. It's such a great experience. And that's one of the things that I really loved about it is because unlike most filmmakers, PTA being one example that's not this way, (laughs) but it's not, um, they don't make movies for cinema anymore. And that's what he makes. And he still makes. And I thought that this was a perfect cinema movie experience.
1: Well, what's funny is, it is. You're, you're absolutely right. My favorite thing about, and I think what everyone's favorite things about this movie are, first of all, the vibe. Everyone talks about the vibe, how he captured the vibe of 1969 Hollywood, right? Yes. And the funny thing is him making a movie with nostalgia dripping from 1969 is like me making one from 1985 where it's like, well, I was like three or four years old. I don't really remember much of it. and What I do remember is you know, pictures that my parents took, you know? So a lot of his Hollywood 1969 is, oh, it's also just Tarantino, where it's in a world of its own. That, I think, is what works so well, because right now people want an escape. They want to not hear about what's going on in the world, and this movie is a different place, a different time. Seems a little simpler, and it gives you a spoiler, gives you a nice happy ending to something that, was a really ugly part of our history at a really weird time in our history.
0: How much does Tarantino hate hippies?
1: An awful lot, which is really funny.
0: This was very anti-hippie, this movie that is.
1: Well, okay. Well, here's the thing. I don't know if it's so much anti-hippie as it is him feeling, because I mean, he is DiCaprio, you know, DiCaprio is him. It's a guy who used to be the coolest guy in the world, you know, uh he was the young hip guy and now he's just kind of left out of time but then he gets a second wind and i think that's him like this might be his second wind everybody loving this movie is the equivalent of uh the gate opening and letting him in at the end of the film you know yes. this it's so autobiographical in terms of just how he feels not about like what happened in his life but just his place in in culture right and the, I, I was kind of lukewarm to the movie when I first saw it, but now that I've had time to, to stew in it a little bit, I've been able to stop thinking about it, which is always a good sign for me. And while this might be his least coherent plot, I don't even want to say coherent. There's not really a plot, you know? It's, it's just a, day in the a life slice life. of time. Yeah. Whereas his other movies may have more of a plot, I think these are probably his best characters he's written. Maybe ever. I want to hang out with DiCaprio and Brad Pitt in this movie all the time. Brad Pitt's character—you're already seeing people Copse play as him. He created a cooler version of the dude who people are going to people are going to be wearing. That was
0: it—a Duralast shirt. Yes. <laughs>
1: yeah, he, there are people are going to be wearing that Duralast shirt and those stupid and moccasins. The yellow unbuttoned shirt forever
0: now. I saw somebody the other day post on Instagram about buying the moccasins. There you go. Those things are so. Ugly. So, so ugly. Was there enough tension to make a film out of this?
1: Well, most of the movie doesn't have any tension. I didn't even think that the whole Sharon Tate stuff at the end had any tension. Because if you've ever seen one of his movies, you're going to know the bad guys get theirs. Bad guys never get away clean in his movies, ever. You know, even Vincent Vega got his, right? That said, I will say that the scene where Brad Pitt goes to the ranch from the moment he arrives until he leaves. That is right up there with the call it scene in um, No Country. I can't remember the name. No Country World oh, Event. Thank you. That is one of the most tense things and it goes on forever. It goes on for like 15 or 20 minutes. But every everything that happens just ratchets it up. And when they finally reveal Bruce Dern, you're like, oh, wait, wait, what? So they were telling the truth. What's going on? And it's, and you're so set back that everything they've said is completely true that you're like, then why is there a weird vibe here? And it just gets worse and worse and worse.
0: The way that he and, was yeah, able um, to mix uh, real life in there, because that was the first person uh, that the Manson family killed was a hitman or hitman, a, a stuntman out at the ranch. And so... You know, if you know that little bit of history, that makes the scene even more tense. When you talk about changing the ending, I still think that there was plenty of tension there because, well, first of all, even if you know that the bad guys are going to lose, how is that going to happen? You know, how is that going to unfold? I thought Sharon Tate was going to be the one to win. I I thought
1: for for a little bit, I thought they were going to actually make it up to the house and then they'd rush up there. But the second they saw him and they're like, oh, we got to go get him. It's like, oh, well, they're never making it to Sharon Tate's house. Like, that's just not going to happen. But the reason why I didn't feel any tension was because, you know, I saw when Brad Pitt went in there earlier in the film to get the ladder. You know, we see the flamethrower. And I'm like, oh, well, you know, that's Chekhov's flamethrower right now. So, you know, that's coming back. So one of those hippies is getting barbecued. Right. And, you know, like you said earlier, I don't think it's the hippies that he mined as much as it is uh, the hippies are like the young filmmakers going back to that. I think that's kind of what they represent because if you take a look at it, Tarantino, I don't want to say he's a hippie, but he has some hippie sensibilities, right? So I don't think he's going against their culture. I just think it's what, you know, he is the old guard and all these new kids coming up, you know, he, he just doesn't have time for it.
0: Old man talk and that's okay. That's what happens. We all get old and we all get a little bit that way. Two minutes left. Uh, What were your final impressions? Where does this fit into uh, the Tarantino canon? Should it have been his second movie and should Pulp Fiction have been his ninth?
1: I think that Pulp Fiction is still going to be the one that he's remembered for. Like if everyone had to say, okay, which one are we going to put in the time capsule? It's going to be Pulp Fiction. It had the biggest cultural impact. This one, I think, has some of the strongest characters and has some of the best vibes, but um, I don't know where I'd rank it. What about you?
0: It's four. It's number four for me. Uh, It's still Pulp Fiction. Then Kill Bill, which is one movie, not two movies. Yeah, I I will agree with you on that. And I feel like Jackie Brown has withstood the test of time and something that I still maybe enjoy watching as much as any of his films.
1: My only problem with Jackie Brown is it feels like every time he does a movie that's contemporary where he doesn't have a character like, you know, Vincent Vega and, you know, the wolf, right, where they're just kind of ordinary characters. And he's only done really one, maybe two if you count, uh, what it was, Death Proof, right? Yeah. I think that there's something that feels a little off about it. He needs that unreality in his, in his work. Not saying that Jackie Brown's not good because it's great but there's something that feels a little too studio about it. You know, not enough him.
0: Interesting. Also, even though people keep saying it, he has made 10 movies, my best friend's birthday was a movie. Let's be clear. That was his first movie. But whatever. Let's continue to play like that. He's done nine movies. Will he only make 10? Well, it's also, we got to count uh, four, what was it four rooms? Four rooms. Well, that was more that's... short than a feature. That's yeah, part of the feature. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I would say go watch it because it's still yeah, in the theater. I think that they're playing, like, all month at the New Beverly. So if you're in L.A., go check well, well, that. Well, yeah, it's his theater. Well, exactly. That's why he's doing it. Going from the theater to the Netflix, there it is. We've got to the Netflix Mindhunter. Season 2 has recently come out. Uh, it's about the, uh, the FBI profilers. I'm also reading the book right now, so I can give you some insight into that. But what did you think? Season two better than season one? Did you love that the two greatest directors going right now directed the first uh, five episodes of that? Or are you going to tell me that I'm wrong? I think I liked
1: season one a little bit better.
0: Okay. It felt a little more focused, and it felt like
1: they actually accomplished something. And to be completely honest, I never watched the last episode of Mindhunter. I wasn't really—I started to not care once it felt like they were spinning their wheels. And I fell asleep one night. My wife finished it, and I said, just tell me what happened. She told me what happened, and I was like, well, I don't really need to finish it now. When it's basically like that line in Boogie Nights at the end of uh, Rock Lander's Angels Living My Town, where they go, well, we almost solved the case. It's like, well, you got A guy, but not B guy. I know they're having to go by what really happened, but that isn't the strongest narrative, too, where it's like, "Yeah, got away a whole bunch of kids. Nothing ever happened
0: with them. It's tough. I mean, there's so many uh, things that these uh, killers, these murderers, these serial killers uh, did, dealt with. The stories are so horrific that even even the stories that they're telling on Mindhunter is a little bit tame. And I don't think that people would have enjoyed it if they would have dove uh, any deeper into the madness of that. Uh, so being able yeah. to balance that fine line was pretty fascinating to me. How they decided... I mean, this year, you know, we got Manson, we got a bunch of other uh, serial killers that weren't in the first season. So they're trying to, uh, I guess, maybe rely on those more or, you know, utilize those characters a little bit more. Can we
1: just take a moment and appreciate how incredible the dude playing Charlie Manson was? Because he's in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood for all of 12 seconds, you know? I I think he maybe says like two words.
0: Wait till we get the uh, special edition. He'll be back. He's got more scenes. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, I know. But as it is, right now, he it exists for it exists like a minute. But I was not prepared for what he did in Mindhunter. Oh, my God. That should win him some awards. That First of was all, remarkable.
0: The makeup work that they did on him, and it's just crazy because you see him in Once Upon a Time, and he doesn't look anything near like he does in <laughs> Nothing like him. unbelievable.
1: No, no, that dude channeled the spirit of Charlie Manson. You know, that was, that was incredible.
0: Did you have a favorite serial killer from this year? Was it Manson?
1: Well, Charlie Manson.
0: Um, he's not technically a serial killer, but oh, fair enough. I thought that his that performance was incredible.
1: Also, the interview with uh, the Son of Sam killer, that
0: was a lot of fun. I didn't know that they broke him. I mean not really broke him, but they were just talking to him. And Neither they were I. like, You know, you not you didn't talk well, to dogs to and he was day, like, Yeah, you're right.
1: To this day, and I think part of it's also the fault of, you know, that movie
0: where they're like, Oh, we thought it was a talking dog
1: and it's like, No, no, he admitted it was not real.
0: Yeah, like fifteen <laughs> years before that movie. It is weird. I always thought that. But yeah, that guy was really great. But to, be, but to be fair, but to be fair, if Summer
1: of Sam were honest, we wouldn't have a we wouldn't have a shot of a talking dog in it.
0: That's true. That is very true. That guy went through six hours of makeup before he got to set to be able to do his part. That is crazy. Crazy talk to me. Um, I liked that they changed whose personal story they were telling. Uh, They changed it from um, the main guy to the other guy. I'm sorry, I don't remember names right now, but uh, Bill, Bill Tinch. And so this was not part of the real story, but it was really interesting how they utilized the adopted son to also maybe he is a future serial killer and how he has to deal with seeing this kid like that. Yeah, it
1: seems that way. Like that, when (laughs) when they said, we found a two-year-old here and it was tied to a cross, I'm like, oh, Jesus. Really, are we going to do this? And then to find out that it was that guy's kid? Oh, man.
0: Crazy, crazy, crazy. That's good drama.
1: Actually, if they just focused on him and got rid of Dude from Glee, I'd be fine at this point.
0: That hurts a little bit. He was also from Hamilton, but whatever. Um, the story of Wayne Williams, which would be the other uh, long story William uh, of the season. I'm sorry. Have you ever seen any real interviews with that guy? Yes. He is one of the creepiest people. Now, the giant tall guy that was from the first season, that's probably yeah. the creepiest of the guys that they've talked to so far, if you see him in real life. But uh, yeah. Wayne Williams was. He's, he's out there. Did you hear
1: what that uh, the guy, uh, what was his name, Ed, the big guy?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's who I'm talking about. What
1: he, did in, what he did with his time in prison, he got, okay, you know how in season two they walk in and he has a tape recorder? Yeah. Turns out he started a program to read books on tape and children's books by inmates. And there are hundreds of books that people have been listening to for 30 years now, with his voice, like the novelization of Star Wars is read by him. Nope.
0: Mm-mm. I'll pass. I'm not going to bed listening How to that voice. How crazy is that? That is awful and creepy. Now I'm terrified. You don't I want to hear that.
1: him talk like this all the time?
0: Oh, that is So awful. So, 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 so creepy. Did you see differences um, since the first five episodes were directed by Fincher and by Andrew Dominic? Uh, four and five was done. I thought the first three was done by Fincher. They are. Yeah, we agree. Yes.
1: Um, I actually thought that for some reason, it's usually not like this, but I thought the, the show got better after Fincher stopped directing. And Fincher's normal style uh, that he's had for three decades now has changed. It's a little more fluid, I would say, and a little less uh, stoic. You know, because usually he locks his camera down and he'll do quick pans as people get to the edge of the frame, but he doesn't do a lot of dolly, you know? Right. He doesn't do a lot of pan and tilt, a lot of booms, stuff like that. And the first three episodes were a little more, I don't want to say polished, but a little busier than he normally does. And I, I still think he gets the best performances and his editing's the best, but I thought the show actually picked up in general after episode three.
0: And I thought it was fascinating because I felt like it's not a good thing or a bad thing but i felt like that dominic hasn't really done tv and done stuff for netflix so i felt like that he came with a movie sensibility the way that it was shot the way that it yeah. was felt that was definitely different than the first three or than the last four I agree. and again i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing i would love to see him do more stuff uh if you can keep him working i'm happy i like the nick cave documentary but you know give me some more movies andrew dominic get to work sir Get to work. <laughs> All right, that was fun. We enjoyed that show. We would say, watch that. You know what else you should watch? Movies of 2014. What?
1: Oh yeah, this is gonna be a fun one.
0: It's that time of year again, kids, where we go over movies from the 2010s. This time we're talking. By the 2014. way, by the way, yes.
1: I, I got, I got, I got a, I got a rag on your, uh, your segue there. Hit me. Because you could have said, going from. Uh, While well, Fincher changed his style, or whatever, you know uh, when he you was still shooting the way he used to with Gone Girl back in 2014, there's Mm-mm. a Fincher. No, there's a Yours Fincher segue that you could have taken.
0: You failed as well. well uh, You're a terrible co-host. You're fired. <laughs> Movies of 2014. Okay. Uh, there was a lot of them. Uh 2014 was actually a pretty yeah, good year movie-wise. Um some of the highlights? If you don't count Interstellar. Well, okay, we'll get to that. Uh some of the highlights, <laughs> some of the big winners of the year were uh Birdman. That won a bunch of awards. Yes. Uh John Wick had two uh sequels made after that. Uh Edge of Tomorrow changed its name, still plays on TNT all the time. <laughs> so there was a lot uh, going on this year. Where let's go. I always like to start at the end and work our way back. So let's talk about a crappy movie from 2014. Uh, oh, man, we got some good movies on here. This is hard. Do you have a crappy movie of 2014? Um, No, I only put my favorites up there. Yeah, I noticed I also did that as well. We've got a lot on this list. I will say Boyhood. Well, here,
1: I'll, yeah, Boyhood, you know, eh. Red Letter Media was, eh. they're famous for making fun of it. Like, hey, it's took 12 years to make. You know, fine. and that's kind of all it's really got going for it. It's fine. It's like the um, iPhone movie,
0: Tangerine. It's like, yeah, great. They shot it on an iPhone. But, yeah. Okay, go ahead. I'll say this, though. Um, the biggest surprise from that year for me
1: was this movie that Marvel released at the very end of August that usually is like, well, well, technically get it out for the summer, but no one's going to see it. Guardians of the Galaxy. That one I was not expecting to like as much as I did. And I sat down and watched it. And it was probably the most fun I'd had in a theater at that point in like 10 years.
0: It was a surprise hit. I certainly didn't expect much of it. I didn't know anything about the comic book. I just saw the trailers and the uh, music was pretty excellent. And uh, I came away going, that was a good movie. Like it wasn't like a superhero movie. Obviously, it is a superhero movie, but it was just like a good, enjoyable movie.
1: Well, is it a superhero movie? Because they're not really
0: superheroes. I just call it a sci-fi movie.
1: You know, it doesn't really have any of the superhero trope.
0: You know, I mean, I guess, I guess. I mean, you know, there's a freaking, you know, uh, talking plant, and then there's the green. Chick. Yeah, but that's not a superhero trope. That's a that's a straight up sci fi trope. All right, all right. I'm not going to argue with you, um, but I will say that um, yeah. it was not the best movie of 2014. That's for no, sure. No, 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 no. Here's one.
1: But well, let's just let's just point out one thing. Yes. There, there were a lot of really good. Sci fi movies. Got Volumes of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. You got Snowpiercer, which everybody seemed to really like. Everybody liked it a little more than I did. Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, the mm-hmm. second one in the new trilogy, which I think is the best.
0: Looks so good. And like you said, Edge of Tomorrow. Such a rewatch which is movie. is now called Live Guy Repeat. Yeah. Uh, yes, I remember that and very vividly.
1: A sci fi movie that's also a superhero movie, but really, more than anything, it's probably one of the best spy movies ever made. Captain America Winter Soldier.
0: Mm, I'm not gonna argue against you, but I'm not gonna argue for you. It was fine. <laughs> it was fine. It was good. It's fine. Noah also. I see this on your list. It was fine. It I was, love Noah. It was. It was odd. It was odd. Definitely. Well, well, that's what I liked about. It. I liked the fact
1: they took some of the things that could be very odd and literal, and they took it literally. You know, where it's like, no, we're not gonna say with the metaphors. We're literally gonna have, uh. The nephilim, angels that are trapped in rock bodies, and they did things like well, since it's further in the past and it's before pollution and all this other stuff, we're going to be able to actually see more stars in the sky. And we're going to be able to see them during the day, and we're going to see some animals that we don't see now because like one of them gets eaten on the ark, so we just don't have that animal anymore. Right. Um, I, I thought there was a lot of really neat stuff, and it, uh, that movie actually has my favorite sequence ever put in any movie. The sequence where he's telling the creation story and he's telling it as told in the Bible, but they show it as basically this fast-forward through billions of years. It is the most gorgeous, most interesting thing I've ever seen in my
0: life. So the opposite of Tree of Life. Yes. (laughs) I'm going to (laughs) go... Well, first of all, give me 30 seconds on The Babadook. Ooh, I love the Babadook. Actually,
1: that, uh, yeah, go ahead. Go, go, go.
0: No, 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 I am saying, give me 30 seconds on that. Tell me what, uh, why why the people should watch that.
1: Okay, so actually,
0: my two, two
1: of my favorite horror movies of all time came out that year. It Follows and The Babadook. Um, Babadook, uh, I know a lot of people read as being a metaphor for her dealing with loss and grief and while I think that is partially accurate, I think more than anything, it's her talking about being a single parent and especially a single parent of a kid that has special needs and how at the end of the day, even though you've given everything you have to be able to help your child, sometimes they need more from you and you can't, you can't, you don't have anything else to give and how that can just drive you crazy. No, I think that movie is incredible. Yes. It's frightening. It's frightening where nobody gets
0: hurt it and was uh, a horror movie that I don't like horror movies and i enjoyed that movie so it was on the list um okay yeah. so let's go runner up and then we'll go with our favorite um, i'm gonna hit you with my runner up it was very tough this was a tough choice for me 2014 had a lot of great films that i still rewatch, but a most violent year uh is my runner up That stars uh, Jessica Chastain and uh, the most beautiful man in the world. Uh, Of course, I'm not going to remember his name as soon as I say that. But uh, it's such a fascinating film. It kind of slipped through on Christmas. It was released on Christmas Day. So there's a couple other movies that everybody saw first. And then this had a slow rollout. Oscar Isaac. Thank you. I knew it would come to me. And it's just... Uh, It's got everything that you want in a movie, I think. It's about the 80s, an oil tanker business. It's about a man trying to figure out how to work in the business world, in this new world of the 80s where um, you can't just murder everybody to take charge. And uh, it was fantastic. That's my runner-up.
1: That is a good one. Um, I can't fault you for that because it's fantastic. I think I'm going to go with Birdman. Okay, just because I love all the performances in it. Um, I'm a sucker for wide-angle lenses and long takes. I do I do agree with people that say it's a little pretentious. It's not a little pretentious. It's very pretentious. Yes. Um, but I'm not going to fault it for that. I still love it. I understand its fault. But at the end of the day, it starts out with Michael Keaton in his underwear smelling, saying it smells like balls
0: in here. So I've gotta love it. That's that is a good movie as well. It won a lot of the awards that year. Um, I would also recommend that. Now number one. Here we go. What is you want me name? to go first so you yes. can hit me
1: with yours? Yes. Okay. My number one what? is whiplash. Oh. Whiplash. Mm-hmm. I think I've watched the end performance scene, which is like what, ten minutes long? More times than I've seen the whole movie. I think from a technical standpoint it's incredible. Um, I think that it is remarkable. They made me like Miles Teller and not want to punch him in the face. I think that uh, JK Simmons turned in probably the performance he'll be known for besides the yellow M&M. And having been in band and have, I didn't have a teacher who threw that in our head, like a uh, chair at our heads or anything but he did call us like fags and stuff like that and we did get screamed at quite a bit i i understand a lot of this movie and i understand the director went through when because that's why he wrote it because he was you know in band yeah and i think that again it it, on a technical level especially for somebody's first film he's doing stuff that most people will never master and it's a shame that um, I never f- watched his follow-ups all the way
0: through. Uh, that's Damon Chazelle. Am I correct on that? That's okay. who directed it? Yeah. Uh, J.K. Simmons was fantastic in that. Uh, Miles Teller was Miles Teller. So uh, what are you going to do? Also, a really solid film. Can't argue with it. I cannot wait till next time when we argue about your favorite movie. But this time, I'm going to tell you that the best movie of 2014 was by a little director. He's directed a few things. Um, you might know him as uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. Directed a little Yeah, my favorite Inherent director. Inherent Vice. Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, Stoner Detective. Is the first. No, you're so wrong. Oh, you're so wrong. So about good. That. The, uh, no, the no, feel I, of a 70s detective movie like The Long Goodbye. You also have the Big Lebowski in there. Yeah. Um, all the actors bring their A plus game. Josh Brolin may be the best character in there, even better than Joaquin, <laughs> because uh, Bigfoot. That character is it just blew my mind the first time I saw it. Even just the trailer, Moto Pendejillos when he's yelling at the kitchen. Okay,
1: okay, Here, here's here's where I think we might actually have to call a draw on this. Both are filled with fantastic performances. Paul Reiser's last look in Whiplash when he's looking at his son basically becoming something more than a person, you know, and just going all in on that life. It's heartbreaking. However, the characters are very one-note. The story's compelling in Whiplash. Technically, it's incredible. But, the characters are one-note. They don't really change. (laughs) They don't change at all, actually. And, They just get to be more intense versions of what they started out as. However, Inherent Vice has incredibly interesting characters. And again, everybody in it is great. Martin Short steals the movie. The non-existent plot is incomprehensible. I've tried to watch it three times now. I can't follow it. I stop caring about it. I watch it just to enjoy the actors. But it's also the first movie where... Paul Thomas Anderson really stepped back on his visuals. Mas- the Master, what, he, what you did right before, is even though it's not his typical 235 cinema scope, really clean looking movie, it's gorgeous. The Master is so gorgeous. And Inherent Vice is muddy, dark, and not defined. And I know he was trying something different, but I think that walking hand in hand with the incomprehensible plot, which is part of the book. I get it. But there is a reason why they say that some movies just can't be, some books can't be filmed. I think you add those two things together and it's not as good as whiplash.
0: Mm. See, I think that that observation is so incorrect. And I'll tell you why. Uh, you know, I thought that the first time that I watched the movie, I thought it was incoherent. It was a little weird that that writer, me and him have some disagreements. Um, Gravity's Rainbow is supposed to be this fantastic book that he wrote and all about mathematics and everything. But I watched it with my little brothers, and I love those guys, but they're both ding-dongs sometimes. And for them to be able to keep up with the movie the first time, I was taken aback because it seemed like it was convoluted. But if you—well, first of all, the entire movie is explained in the first two minutes. Whenever he's talking to Shasta, if you're just listening to that conversation, you know exactly what's going to happen. I love the idea that the uh, dentist organization is also giving everybody drugs. So that's a fantastic part of the story where you have this whole loop. They get them uh, on on one end and then coming back on the other. The freaking uh, Luke Wilsons shows up as, as this random band guy. And, uh, you know, when he's on the pier with that stupid hat on, that scene was fantastic. Uh, I just, I can't see anything wrong with this movie. I just can't. But Dungeon
1: well, obviously there
0: if it's Paul Thomas Anderson is probably my favorite director
1: I've loved him ever since I saw his first uh, his first movie I watched Heartache just like a week and a half ago and there's gotta be something wrong when I've tried to watch this movie three times I've gotten through it once and I just didn't care I was fine with the acting I thought they were funny but I could it could not keep my attention there's something off at that point. And I think this is when it might come down, like I hate to say it, it might come down to personal taste. But if it comes down to personal taste, that means we cannot give it, um, we cannot say it is the best movie of the year because that, is, that goes beyond taste. That is when you give something, you're qualifying it, right? So I think that's when you have to find something that everyone else agrees, like, okay, that's great. Because with this, I've noticed it is a love it or leave it. Inherent Vice, people will either go to the mat for it or say they just can't stand it. And unfortunately, I'm in the latter category. And again, this is coming from a guy that I root for. I defend the master, the people I defend, pretty much everything he's done. And I'll, but I'll, I'll,
0: you know, I'll defend Inherent Vice
1: more than Phantom Thread because at least Inherent Vice has characters I want to spend time with. But even then, I, oh, I don't
0: think you're saying so many crazy things right now. The master, no, Phantom Thread, fantastic. No, the, inherent vice. No, Halees, no, God no. Funniest the, film. The Phantom Thread is filled with the most
1: despicable people that I hate, and maybe it's just the whole aristocracy of it that I just can't stand. But the master is that is literally two people, two actors at the top of their game doing the best work ever put to celluloid with some of the most amazing photography ever and the most interesting characters who are just broken and you, you want to find out why they're hurt you want them to get past it and you're rooting for them and then you realize
0: we're just gonna always to disagree on that uh, but I can agree that this will be a split we are split on this one which means no argument social wait network... wait, 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 before, before, wait before we do that before yes. we do that yes
1: would you agree to a third one? Well there's nothing one I'm that here. we both have on our
0: list. Unless it's most violent year, I'm not gonna agree on it. Gone girl. Hmm. I mean it's 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 not social network, so there's really no even need to play. It's great. Okay, so so far social network's still our winner. Still, yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. <laughs> it is <laughs> it is ranks, indeed. Man. So, mm, that's what we got would would have That
1: would have busted my bracket from the beginning. But, yeah, the more I think about social networks, the more I realize how brilliant it is.
0: And speaking of non-brilliant, oh, wait, you said brilliant. Let's talk about non-brilliant. We've watched a couple of movies, the two of us, recently. (laughs) Oh, God. Let's finish out the show talking about and juxtaposing the new movie, uh, The Fanatic and The Dead Don't Die. Two polar opposite movies, yet the same in some ways as well. My biggest thing was I heard that The Fanatic was terrible. And
1: I watched it, or I tried to watch it. I got 10 minutes in, and my wife and I were watching it together, and we're like, oh, we can't do this. Like, it's embarrassing, and it's just it's really, really bad.
0: Now let me ask before we dive too deep into this. Okay, so what they were trying to do was a mentally handicapped character of some kind. Now, they didn't do a good job of explaining why he was mentally handicapped, any of those kind of things.
1: I, I don't I don't think he was handicapped. I think he was just
0: severely um, autistic. Okay, Okay. fair enough. Or fair enough Asperger's. Yeah. I can agree with that. Now, if you take that character and you leave everything else about the movie together, except the ending, whoa, which we'll get to, my friend. We will get to the ending. But you take that... And you put anybody but John Travolta in there, how much better even at that point would it have been?
1: Well that's hard to tell because at the end of the day, I, I the whole time I mean it's called The Fanatic, and it's so close to the fan. Uh was or yeah, the fan with uh Yes. Patton Oswald. With right? Patton yeah.
0: Oswald. Or you could go back to that uh Wesley Snipes movie with Robert De Niro.
1: Yes. Yes, I've seen that. So, all I could think of the whole time was, this is like, even the title's close to this other movie that I really like. Why aren't I just watching that? And at the end of the day, there's nothing sympathetic about the way this character's written. Exactly. We know he's obsessed. It's not even like, I think they were trying to go a little bit for a king of comedy kind of thing. Yeah, uh, but there's no sympathy for one either guy. character. Right. Right. And even in King of Comedy, you're like, well, you kind of like the guy a little bit. It's right. like, oh, he even though it wasn't for altruistic reasons, he did help Jerry get into the get get past that mob at the beginning, and he did get a little hurt. Okay, I get that. This guy just starts out crazy, sneaking into a party, and it's just I.
0: Okay. Okay. So yes, This is wrong. perfect. Um, so not only does he sneak into the party, um, he goes back to the celebrity's house. The celebrity is Devin Sawa of Final Destination fame. So you knew this was going to be fantastic. Casper. Okay, fair enough. Caspers. as well. And by the <laughs> end, he's sneaking to his house and taking pictures of him while he's sleeping. Um, so that's where we head. That uh, Excuse me, spoiler on that if you were going to really watch this and be intensely uh, into the plot I screwed that up for you. I'm sorry about that, but that's okay. Um, so let's talk about the end. It may be one of the worst endings that has been written in at least a decade. Yes? I I scrolled through it, and I watched clips, and I,
1: I can't even give this the time. I so, saw him get his hand shot off, and then he was about to get shot, and he was let go. And then he's found on the side of the road walking by his friend. And then while the friend finds him and he's bleeding and everything, the cops think that Devin were killed somebody else.
0: Yes. That was a lot. That was a really yeah. good review. But you missed the most important thing, I think, at least. And that is John Travolta's character dresses up like Jason. From the Friday the 13th movies has Devin Sawa tied up. Devin wakes up to see that he's dressed like this and then he stabs him with a fake knife because he's showing him that he's a great actor. He fooled him into thinking that he was going to kill him. And then also he faked his own suicide to fool him as well. So, great depth of all the characters in this movie. Also, uh, one more note before we go. Um, Fred Durst directed this movie uh, of... Let's call it nah, Limp yeah. Biscuit fame. But within the freaking movie, the main character, Devin Saw, that is, listens to the song yep. with The Sun, and it is intercut with the video for the song from Limp Biscuit. It is awful. It hurt my feelings. Let's not talk about it anymore. Let's talk about The Dead Don't Die. Not
1: great. okay. Now,
0: no, okay. So, The Dead Don't Die
1: seems like they were all having, like, like they were all at a festival. Together and they were having lunch and they're like, "Yeah, man, like we should just make a fun little like." It almost felt like a twenty-four hour movie, right? Like they had two weeks. Some coincidence, they all had a couple of days here and there, and they're like, "Hey, let's just shoot something." And they went in with almost no script, and people were talking about how bad it is. It's not bad. It's just it's a fun little movie that I'm, I'm definitely going to watch again. Like it's not great, but I like the actors.
0: It's heavy-handed. I It's Um, silly. I feel like that the old man is talking to the little kids and I wasn't a big fan of that. This is the least Jim Jarmusch movie that Jim Jarmusch has probably ever made.
1: And I think that's the point. I really think that's the point. He's like, Hey, maybe we should just do something to make fun of the fact that everything's kind of the same. And they even draw attention. What are we improvising now? Or you read the script,
0: you know? And I think
1: that's just a comment on how these are all the same. And, you know, of course, then it's self-reflexive in a couple of ways. One, because now we know that they're we that they know they're in a movie, but also it's calling attention to the fact that everybody knows that Bill Murray never reads the scripts that of the movies he's in. Yeah. So it's it's just it's so much fun. It feels like a bunch of friends making a movie together. Unfortunately, but they, they just happen to be, you know, all rich famous rich and famous movie stars.
0: Yeah, I'll give it that. It was a fine watch. It was a fine watch. And
1: the aliens at the end, that was
0: just, that was perfect. All right, so we've come back together. We've reached the end of our latest episode. But as always, we need to tell the people what they should be doing, what they should be watching, what they should be reading maybe this week. Matt, do you have recommendations for the people?
1: Yeah, I would say what's the good place?
0: I know it's been on for three years. I'm
1: just now starting it. And it is really funny and really clever. And especially for something that's on network TV, it's fantastic.
0: Michael Schur is uh, is a god. He's so great. I would also recommend that, even though I recommended that to you two seasons ago. But whatever. Thanks for listening to me. My recommendation is Fleabag, a little show on the Amazon network or oh, yeah. or whatever they call that. That show is so good. I fought it and fought it, and fought it, but I finally caved in and watched it. Now, it is not a show that reinvents the will, even though some people say that it does. She talks to the camera. That's been happened before, but it's so emotional. It's so uh, personal, and I believe out of these six episodes from the first season, I cried in five of them, so... That's a recommendation for me. Uh, Anything on the calendar for the week? Um, That new Jennifer Lopez movie is coming out. Are you going to watch that? I didn't even know there was a Jennifer Lopez movie coming out. Exactly. Well, friend, it was good to talk to you. We'll be back together soon. This should be up soon. And then we'll be back to our normal schedule, which is to say, you know, weekly, but, you know, whenever we put it up. Anything to tell people? Awesome. Before we go? Keep it sleazy. easy.